Welcome to Off The Record. I'm your host, Marika, and I'm a dietitian, nutritionist, and recovering perfectionist. Join me each week as I bring you raw and real conversations with inspiring men and women discussing matters in health and nutrition that are often swept under the rug. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of coffee or a wine, and enjoy learning from conversations that help us to understand the messiness of what it means to be a healthy and balanced human. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Off the Record. Today's episode, I am joined by Dr. John Sykes, who is a general practitioner who trained in the UK. He is one of the trustees of the British Society of Lifestyle Medicine, a fellow of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine, and is also trained to be a certified nutritionist. Now, today we are going to be talking about weight loss drugs. And in particular, we're going to be talking about Duramine. It's a topic that you guys have actually requested for me to be talking about. Um, So I've brought on somebody who is definitely much more experienced in this topic than I am. So welcome, John, to Off the Record. Hi, Marika. Thanks for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Now, I wanted to firstly give everyone a little bit of a backstory as to how I met you because I am still shocked to this day at how small this world is. So for those um, listening, we I started following John, oh, I don't know, how many years ago would it have been now? Oh, it must have been four or five years ago now. Yeah, yeah it was a long time ago. ago. I, and I don't even remember how I found you on Instagram, but I started following you and then I saw that you did a post that you were coming to Sydney and I'd recently moved to Sydney as well. So I was like, oh, I'm going to reach out. And then you told me where you were going to be working when you came to Sydney. And funnily enough, it was, what, less than a kilometre from the house that I was living in at the time. Yeah, literally right around the corner. Such a small world. So that's how John and I met. And so he came to Sydney and, yeah, we've become friends since then and has since gone back to the UK, sadly. Mm. Sadly for us. (laughs) (laughs) And sadly for me in some aspects as well. But, uh, yeah, back in the UK and actually... Although it's a bit colder, it's all right. It's all right time. Still loving it. That's good. Yeah. All righty, John. Well, um, firstly, is there anything that you wanted to say, introduce yourself? Is there anything that I've missed in your bio that you would like to cover um, or anything in terms of your experience in this area? So in terms of weight loss, in terms of the lifestyle stuff um, that you'd like to touch on? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's worth kind of showing a bit more in terms of um, kind of I've always been interested in lifestyle changes for um, helping patients with certain diseases. We've got lots of guidelines in general practice and in medicine generally about how we can help people with chronic disease feel better, get better and and reduce their symptoms. And we've also got lots of evidence showing that certain lifestyle measures can make a huge difference in terms of reducing our risk of disease. And I feel sadly sometimes in medicine, um, we we don't have the time to dedicate to that because we are fighting fires. Um, we are managing the acute thing that's that's going on at that time. Um, and when we're not actually focusing on the preventative measures, the background stuff, the stuff which actually we know will prevent the thing further down the line, sometimes that can be quite counterproductive. Um, and I found myself, uh, I was looking into kind of sports and exercise medicine, and I saw lots of evidence and research and studies showing the benefit of exercise for certain conditions, whether that be arthritis, a condition that I previously thought, oh, you've got arthritis, you can't exercise, when actually there's loads of good evidence to show that instead of that 
kind of wear and tear thought we had. It's much more wear and repair. And actually, we can benefit the, the, the muscles around the joint to support it better in order to reduce those symptoms. Um, and that can be enormous in some cases. In some cases, that can change people's lives. And then if we think about the other benefits of activity and exercise, then they are numerous and they are for so many different conditions. So I found myself becoming very passionate about that. Um, being a keen sports person myself, I also found I was very interested in nutrition, which is why I pursued being a, a certified nutritionist. And again, looking into that in more detail, the huge impact diet has on health. And yet as a, as a doctor, I felt I got so little actual education on that in, in medical school. And we're advising on, you know, heart, heart risk, so cardiovascular risk every day, pretty much. And yet I felt inadequate in being able to give someone good advice about how to change their diet for the better. Um, so it, it felt like that was a, another missing piece of the, the puzzle. And from there, I've kind of looked into other things. So for me, especially, and this is a personal point for me, I've always been someone who's not very good at getting enough sleep. And only recently, I've, I say recently, it's been the last four or five years, I've been a lot better at really making that a priority. And that was from, you know, again, reading the evidence and seeing how much benefit we get from sleep. And then similar thing with kind of mindfulness and relaxation. So those kind of things really made up kind of, I, I call it like the building blocks for our health. And then we've got the extra you know, things that we can put on top, the cherries on top, which can be extra supplements or certain supplements anyway, or omega-3s or vitamin D, that kind of stuff. But but the building blocks are those things. Um, so in Sydney, I set up a clinic where I would see patients who either had chronic disease or were at risk of chronic disease. And we really worked on those building blocks to try and reduce their risk of disease, reduce the burden of disease that they had, and in some cases, even reverse their, their chronic disease. Um, and just getting that extra time, that bit more kind of, I suppose, expertise advice, because I have done a lot of research into it now in terms of all the, the bits that I've done um, to help someone make those lifestyle changes using particular behavioral change techniques can be, you know, something that makes a huge, huge difference, which takes us quite nicely onto our topic today, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's such a unique um, sort of position for a GP to be working in to include all that lifestyle stuff, because like you mentioned, it's so important to our overall health, yet it's something that yeah, most GPs don't feel well equipped in because they haven't had the training in nutrition or sport or exercise and those sorts of things. So it it's it seems about a bit weird even to think that, you know, we're going to these GPs to look for advice around our health and the area that they're probably the most trained in is, is around medications and around, you know, fixing things with drugs, which obviously there is a time and a place for fixing things with drugs and that's fantastic. But yeah, it's so great that you've been able to sort of go down into that lifestyle route um, a little bit deeper because it's something that, yeah, we definitely do need more of. Yeah. And I think it comes back to kind of why did we go into the profession? I think for me, it was helping people become healthier and I feel, you know, if I'm being honest, after medical school, I became an expert in disease, not an expert in how to make someone healthy. And, it, and it, there's a, a small, slight difference there, but it, but it's huge and actually it can totally change the way you practice. Mm. So when it comes to things like um, obesity and weight loss in particular, there are, as far as I'm aware, this is not an area that I'm an expert in, but as far as I'm aware, there is uh, quite a few different um, types of weight loss medications that, you know, a GP might prescribe. 
I guess I just wanted to find out from you is like in your experience, be it, you know, your experience with patients or be it your experience with other GPs, how regularly would you see um, people either requesting this or it being prescribed from their GPs? It was not massively regular. I suppose from my point of view, I was someone who, when that conversation was often raised, I'd explore that idea in a lot more detail. Um, I think it's it's worth caveating the start of this conversation with, you know, we are living in a world where it is actually quite hard not to be obese and mm-hmm. be overweight. And that's, you know, seen in the fact that the stats are showing that around 60% in, in the UK and in Australia are overweight or obese. So this is a hard topic. And even more so, losing weight is is very difficult. So 100%. people are people are looking for answers for this. People are looking for solutions and they look for them everywhere, you know, online. You know, there are so many different places we could look for for weight loss options. Um, So I often feel when people come to me for um, medication type things, I can tell they've already tried several other things and they're at a point where they're finding it quite tough. I would say that requests for medications for it would happen quite frequently for those who had been in that place for a long time. They maybe already had some chronic disease. They maybe already tried several fad diets. They'd already tried potentially kind of fat burners and things like that over the counter, which we can talk about as well later. But essentially, someone who requests medication for me has has been through a lot already in terms of their journey. And my thought process always at that point is we need to unravel this. We need to see where that person is not just physically in terms of you know their actual health but also mentally because we know from you know diet culture from trying to lose weight from all the images we have around us of all these perfectly good looking people especially on Instagram and social media that it can be quite a hard place to be in um so often I'd I'd go down the kind of psychological route to a certain extent I know we've had lots of conversations in the past about how important that psychological side of of Mm. of weight loss or or just eating generally is and what a huge impact that can have um so it it did happen frequently and I think from my point of view often I would go down the route of trying to explore that further going down more the lifestyle route going down more the psychological management route so luckily it was never a conversation where they were saying I want to be on this medication. I was saying, I don't really want to put you on this medication. Often we were able to come to a nice shared decision. Um, But there were times when people were quite keen to to use it. And I would say there are some times when this medication, medications are appropriate. You've mentioned Duramine, also known as Vitamine, which is an option. Um, And there are other ones that are available. We'll we'll probably talk about those later as well. But um, I think with anything that we do, regardless of what we do it's it's what are the benefits of of why we're doing this what are the risks involved with doing this um and i think with any drug medication there is an element of risk some the risk is very very low and generally they get on well with that um, medication or sometimes there are other risks that we maybe need to explore in more detail and i think with a drug like you mentioned duramine there are some things that i think it's worth people being aware of and and that's normally where I start that conversation. Yeah, and I love that you do that because I think that the the concern that I've had from conversations with some people in my community and everything is that 
from some GPs, obviously not yourself, but from some GPs, it has been, I guess, prescribed as a bit of a quick fix for um, when the GP, and this is, I think, a whole conversation probably entirely separately, but the GP perceives that the person has poor health because of the way that they look. So whether that is actually correct or not, (laughs) that's a whole other conversation. Um, And then has prescribed Duramine based on that. Um, Without, I guess, going into the ins and outs of the risks with the individual. So yes, maybe the GP does know, you know, the benefits and and has done that sort of calculation themselves. Um, But I think for me, I would feel much more comfortable with my clients knowing the risks and knowing the benefits and I guess having some say in the decision on the medication that they're being put on, which sounds like what you're, you're talking about, what you would do in your sort of practice there. Yeah, 100%. And then, you know, the way the medicine's practiced now, and, you know, same in your field of nutrition and dietetics, it's not a case of us saying to patients anymore, right, this is the way to do it. You do this, come and see me again in a month. We, we The whole way we view healthcare is different now. It's all about shared decision-making, informed consent, people understanding their decisions. And we know that in that process, shared decision-making and people actually understanding why we're making that decision and actually kind of being um, on board with it, actually we get much better results as a, as an outcome of that. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt that that explanation process is, is hugely beneficial um, and needs to be done really for, for all things. So can I ask you, John, what scenarios would you prescribe weight loss medications and what scenarios would you um, advise against them? Yeah. And I think, with these situations, I think we always really have to consider the whole picture. I think what the, the scenario you just described is one which genuinely fills me with frustration and anger. In Same. This, in this being a, a quick fix drug that we can just give out. Um, I often would counsel patients for a good, maybe, you know, 10 minutes on this medication before actually us making a short decision on, on going for it. Um so let, let's talk about kind of two two scenarios. So the first one is a gentleman who is, um, you know, classified in this kind of obese category. Um, now, I think one thing I'll caveat with all of this again is that we are only meant to use this medication in the scenario of someone with a BMI above 30 or someone with a BMI between 27 to 30 with associated obesity type conditions so diabetes cardiovascular disease those kind of things so those things have to be there we shouldn't be using it in people who are, are you know not in that weight category um yeah. so let's consider so a- add to that sorry yeah. i think one thing that i i guess needs clarification there as well is that I'm assuming someone like yourself, if you had somebody that was, let's say, a BMI of 34, you know, when they came in because of their sore toe or, you know, whatever it was, it's not like the first thing that you say is, oh, we need to put you on this medication as well. So I think that there needs to be some clarification there that just because you're within a BMI category does not mean that, and you fit the classification for being allowed to go on this medication. One, it does not mean it's a good thing for you, but two, it doesn't also mean that you should do it as well. 100% 100% totally agree and and to be honest I can never think of a, a time when I've said you should start this medication normally it's a patient prompt because yeah. if I'm honest I feel that there are many other things that we can discuss and talk about and manage 
which will give us much more long-term benefit before going to that medication. Um, yeah. Sorry to interrupt yeah. your, your train no, of thought no, there, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, okay, let's take, let's take an individual who is a, a 45-year-old gentleman who has that exact BMI, kind of 34, so he weighs about 108, 110 kilograms, um, and he's got diabetes, he's got high blood pressure, He's also got a bit of low mood and he, he's on medication for that. Um, and he's also had some problems with his heart in the past where he's had some episodes of palpitations. So he's got complications of his obesity um, in that he has got health related issues there. Now, I suppose you're probably thinking this is the person that I'm thinking should be on this medication, but actually he's not. And the reason for that is because he's got several things which actually would make me a bit concerned. So first thing is we know that this medication can have an impact on increasing your blood pressure even further and also increasing your heart rate. So the high blood pressure that this patient's already got is potentially a risk. We've been told that we can use it in mild hypertension. We're not meant to use it in moderate or severe hypertension. So that would be something we'd have to keep a close eye on if we were to use it. And to be honest, that would be a bit of a concern. And if that blood pressure was even close to the moderate level, I'd be saying I don't, I don't think we should be going down that route. The other thing I mentioned was that he was a bit depressed at the moment and he was on a medication for this. Now, we know there are medications which interact with phenotamine. And basically, if we use that, then it will interact. I can honestly say this from patients who have seen me, who've, who've been prescribed both at the same time and I'll put my hand up and say not by myself it was by <laughs> someone else um, and they've had pretty pretty bad effects of that um, we know it can have a really big impact on mood um, we know it can worsen the mood it can cause kind of restlessness dizziness headaches but in some I mean the thing I'd be more worried about is that worsening of of the mood and the interaction with the medication um in some rare cases and you know i don't always like talking about the rare cases because they are very rare but it has also been known to even cause episodes of hallucination and even psychosis so we're not talking kind of you know feeling a bit more down we're talking significant you know mental health issues um and the last thing i mentioned was that he had palpitations as well now we know this drug as i said works by increasing the heart rate and there are certain heart conditions that you can't you know, have this medication for. So if you've got valvular heart disease, so we've got valves in the heart, which where the blood passes through. And if there is an issue with one of the valves, we, we shouldn't use this medication. Um, but we also know that someone who is susceptible to a, an irregular heart rhythm, someone who um, has got underlying kind of um, cardiovascular disease in terms of angina, which is where there's not enough blood pumping to the heart, that can also be an issue. Um, and again, there have been, and I hate using the worst case scenario, but there have actually been cases reported of people dying from, you know, this, this kind of thing with these kind of medications. Now, obviously, the, the, the way it's reported is the person was on the medication and they died of, of this. Now, there's obviously lots of other confounding factors potentially to that situation. But I think the reason I say that is because I'm stressing we're not talking about minor side effects here. We're talking potentially about pretty significant things um, in someone who's meant to be the person who this drug might be meant for. Um, so I think we really need to make sure we, we understand all the background to that patient, to their medical history before we consider these medications and the implications that could have to them um, going forward. If we then contrast that person with 
a very similar individual who's got same weight, as I said, about 108, 110 kilograms, BMI of 34, but doesn't have low mood, doesn't have any issues in terms of kind of other complications with their heart, um, and doesn't have high blood pressure and doesn't have, you know, those other things, then you may say that this is actually a medication that's worth using. But it's tricky. So ultimately, that would still be an option. The medication at that point would be an option. For me, the reason I'd still be thinking, are there other things that we can do is, and obviously I'm biased because this is the thing that I love doing, is I feel that actually managing sustainable lifestyle change in a way that suits that patient's you know, individual lifestyle is the thing that's going to have way more of a benefit to them longer term. We know this medication we only use for about 12 weeks, or we're meant to use for about 12 weeks. So what happens after that? Well, after that, our appetite goes back to normal. So, you know, does that mean that we have potentially had a kickstart in, in losing some weight in a period of time? Potentially, and that's sometimes why people like using it. But ultimately, I think for me, it's more about the long-term lifestyle change, which is going to give us a, a more longer-term outcome. Um, and that's that's where we should be going to with these things. So I think those kind of two scenarios show that even in the person that we think would be the right candidate for this, that's, that's not always the case. Yeah. And my question I have on the back of those two scenarios is, so it sounds like the the with those two scenarios, the, the person who had the bigger health concerns was not suitable for the medication. And then the person who, and again, there might be more things in this case, I guess, that we're, we're talking about that we haven't covered, but that person seemingly didn't have a lot of health concerns. Is that right? And you've kind of hit the nail on the head there. Exactly. So therefore... <laughs> so you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> yeah. Now, I did mention that both... So both of them have diabetes. And oh, okay. Sorry. Yes, them, I missed that. Both of, them, both of them would still benefit potentially from, from losing that weight. But I totally agree with you, Marika, because again, in my opinion, I'd much rather see that individual in clinic really go through their lifestyle and really see what things that we could make a, a better difference to and, and manage a longer lifestyle change instead of something which is only going to be there for 12 weeks. Um, if that person said to me, look, I want to do the lifestyle stuff. I do. Let's do that. But I need something to just give me a bit of a kickstart. I'd say it can be helpful doing that. But sometimes it's not because ultimately you'll be doing the kickstart with, you know, a stimulant. Um, and we'll talk about the mechanism action of the medication in a bit more detail later, but with a stimulant, which makes those kind of changes a bit easier at this point, and maybe means that they are actually unsustainable once you're off this stimulant. Mm, good point. But, you know, some people, and there is evidence for this as well, that people who lose weight at the start of a process of change quicker in a shorter period of time often do have a longer period of keeping that weight off. Um, so you could argue that that's helpful, but is again, there, I'm not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> is there, and I'm probably throwing a curveball at you here, is there any long-term data to suggest that using a medication like this um, does improve like long-term outcomes in terms of even like mortality? Um, not so much that I'm aware of. I think, yeah. I think it's in tricky when we're doing those kind of studies because there are so many confounding factors. Yeah. 
Um, I think it's a good question, but I don't think I'm aware of any studies where they've been able to analyze that with any real validity. Um, yeah. yeah, I guess I, my question is, are we actually helping people with this medication or are we feeding diet culture? <laughs> and that, that's a very good question. And I think I personally think the, I think that my answer is, I think for some people it helps and for yeah. some people it is the kickstart they need. I think in order to be on the medication and for it to help them, they need to be counseled properly. They need to be made sure they've got no contraindications, nothing that's actually going to be an adverse outcome. And in those situations, I think actually, you know, maybe there's some benefit. I would still argue that I feel seeing a practitioner who has got the appropriate qualifications to talk through lifestyle change, behavioral modification in more detail would be potentially more beneficial. Um, but there is some evidence that it, it you know, that, that we do lose, lose some weight. I would also say, though, that the weight that we see from these studies, and if we're looking particularly at duramine, we're not talking huge weight loss in comparison with the placebo trials. Um, we're talking kind of four kilograms and, and in a lot of the situations, sometimes a lot um, more weight over longer periods of time. But um, in those studies, they're using the medication for 36 weeks and we're only meant to use it for 12 anyway. So, you know, I, if we're talking about a bet, you know, a four kilogram extra weight loss over a 12 week period compared to, you know, a sustainable long-term weight loss which will be much more considerable if we get things right you know there's not really a comparison um mm. and, and we don't have the studies looking into that in as much detail because people obviously don't fund lifestyle change as a <laughs> modality for studies <laughs> um, medication makes money <laughs> that's sadly the case yeah um, so when it comes to um, these sorts of, uh, well, actually, first, let's go into what is duramine? Like, what is the medication yeah. and, and how does it work? So duramine is, so duramine is the, the name that everyone knows in Australia. The, the actual drug name is uh, fentamine, which I kind of keep alluding to, keep saying it wrong as well. <laughs> but it's fentamine. And then you've got duramine, apodex, and metamine, which is another one. And basically, it is a stimulant medication. Um, so this stimulant works as an appetite suppressant. Sorry, can so, you um, describe what is like what is a stimulant medication for people who might not know what a stimulant is? Yeah, so stimulant medication basically means it works on our sympathetic nervous system to get things working quicker. So in this situation, it works almost like adrenaline, um, and it encourages the release of norepinephrine in the hypothalamus, which is center of the brain, which is involved in lots of kind of hormone regulation so when we get an increased release of norepinephrine this um, reduces our appetite and increases our resting energy expenditure we also know there's some effect in that kind of um duramine particularly in increasing serotonin levels and dopamine levels which we kind of see as the happy hormones um, and there's also thought to be a role played by leptin um, now, I'm not going to go into the detail about leptin because leptin has got whole papers, which are 20 pages long, describing what it does. Put simply, it's involved in appetite regulation as well. But they're not quite sure the actual role it has with leptin, but they do think it plays a role with that as well. Um, so essentially, it works as a stimulant to, to speed things up and to reduce your, um, your appetite. And so what does that mean for somebody who might be taking the medication? Like, what are they feeling when they're on it? Like, does, does it feel like you're taking another type of amphetamine? 
Well, yeah, you, so you mentioned amphetamines there. So it's a tricky one. Um, they, they are related to amphetamines and we've got other medications of amphetamines which we use for for other conditions. Um, so things like methylphenidate, also known as Ritalin for ADHD. Um, we've also got Dexedrine, which is used for narcolepsy. So these drugs are designed to increase alertness. So people who have got ADHD find it quite hard to keep focused on something. So it will increase your focus. It will increase your alertness. You'll feel kind of um, more energy in a way. So it's kind of almost like a fight or flight thing where you're, you know, you know, if there's a big bear in the woods and you're trying to run away from that bear, you suddenly get this surge, this rush, and that's because of adrenaline working. And that's exactly, well, it's a similar way, not to quite the same extent that you get with these types of medications. Um, so it increases that alertness, increases that drive. Um, and as I said, it also works by, you know, giving energy to the areas that need energy. So if you're kind of running from a bear, you don't need to eat right now. Like you, you need to run <laughs> and you need to get going. So instead of, you know, getting um, kind of resources and energy to the area of the brain that's saying, I need to eat something right now, it's actually going on, actually, you need to run, you need to go, you need to concentrate, you need to get on with things. So it's basically pushing the energy to, to, to that side of things as opposed to um, eating, which, as I said, that will reduce our appetite. Um, you have mentioned the similarities with the illegal drug speed, um, which is obviously an illegal amphetamine. Now, this is a, I would say there's, there is confusion that some people say, oh, it basically is speed. It's a very chemically similar kind of substance to speed, but it's not. Um, now, there have been queries around, you know, duramine and things being addictive. The studies seem to show that that's, that's not the case and that it isn't an addictive substance. Um, having said that, I think I have seen patients who have found it quite hard, you know, not being on the medication following periods of when they were on it. Um, Likewise. When, yeah. Um, and, and I think the bigger thing for me is when we ever consider a medication, we have to think about the overall risk. And even if a drug hasn't been classified as addictive, if someone comes off it and doesn't feel so great or all the benefits that we had before are now almost reversed. You have to question that benefit. Um, and as I said, I keep coming back to this. For some people, they've used it and it's it's helped them, and that's fantastic. But I have seen people who have found that it hasn't been helpful. I have found mm. people, as you've described, who've been put on it, who probably shouldn't have been put on it. Um, and I think people need to be made fully aware that this is a stimulant medication that can make you feel quite unwell. Um, and as I said, it's not a long-term option. Yeah, and I'm actually wanting to ask you about the the way you were describing how the medication works before in that like it sort of ramps up your fight or flight or your sympathetic nervous system. When you were describing that, I was literally reflecting on my last sort of three weeks of stress and anxiety that I've had with work. And I was wondering, do so after the last three weeks of stress and anxiety and massive fight or flight for me, I've had a massive like crash. So I've spent the last week just in bed, exhausted. Like, the, And the way that I describe it is when I get in those moments where I personally feel like I am in those like really fight and flight, there is nearly always a period of just exhaustion that follows. Is that something that you see with a medication like this? I think, I mean, I have seen it. Um, I think... Again, whenever we look at these kind of situations, there are confounding factors that the patients who, who often use those have had lots of things going on in their life and 
following that they've had a period where they've had a bit more time to kind of you know relax and things and so then they do feel quite drained and things um but yeah i mean it, it, it takes pressure on your body um that extra drive that extra high blood pressure that extra heart rate it, it's it's hard work for your body now and you know your body increases the resting um metabolism um how much we we don't know but that's obviously one of the ways in which the medication works but that is an exhausting extra pressure to add to your body and i think when we go back to kind of everyday life at the moment whether it be in sydney whether it be here in england like life is pretty hardcore at the moment there's lots of pressures from all angles and ultimately adding in an extra stress which is putting mm. that extra physiological exertion on the body isn't always ideal um so is that something that I... you'd consider like the the mm. i guess the aesthetic load of the person like you know the amount of stress that they are under is that something that you would consider in a situation like this if it is ramping up their fight or flight um i think i would to a certain extent yeah i think i would um as i said i'm not one to jump on using this medication quite quickly anyway. <laughs> you're not the right person to ask <laughs> <laughs> probably not but um but 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 you're right i think i think we do have to consider that because you know we have to consider how much extra stress we're putting on on someone's body and if we're giving them a medication which is basically increasing that internal physical stress then that has to be considered um now most bodies will be able to cope fine with it but again this is where we come back to the kind of cardiovascular background things which for that person might not be so good which might mean that they don't cope so well with it which is where we see the adverse effects and why it's so important to screen for all those issues with heart disease before we actually start such a medication as that so yeah I think I think it's a tricky one I think ultimately it's a um something that really needs to be explored beforehand and that extra stress definitely needs to be considered the other thing I'd also say is the great thing about lifestyle change which I'll keep coming back to is we know that so many of the lifestyle things that we do actually reduce our stress so mm. for instance being physically active we actually know will increase our endorphin levels which we know directly can also almost act as like an antidepressant we know that there are genuine chemical mechanisms going on which reduce our chronic inflammation levels which we know will rise if we are you know always in a state of, of stress and anxiety um so it's not just the fact that if someone is taking a medication instead of doing the lifestyle stuff they won't um you know they, they you know if they do the lifestyle stuff they won't have all the adverse effects of all the medications and things by not getting someone to do the lifestyle stuff it means that they're avoiding all the benefits they get on top of the weight loss that they get and and ultimately those things are in some cases even more profitable because ultimately they'll they'll feel much better as a result um so i think when i i talk about medication versus lifestyle i don't just say you know one can make you lose weight one can make you lose weight it's more actually the lifestyle stuff can make you lose weight but actually there's so many other things that the lifestyle stuff can give you which this doesn't give you anyway and this is only the short-term option so mm. Again, I think it comes back to what is the beneficial thing long term and what is going to give you more benefit. And for me, it's always going to be the lifestyle side. And the little benefit you get from using that medication for a short period, personally, I, I don't feel it's enough for me to say it's it's the right option in many cases. Yeah, and I would absolutely agree with that. And I guess where I've seen it 
probably prescribed in the wrong situations is where there probably is underlying eating disorders or disordered eating at the most, uh, sorry, at the least, um, and potentially diagnosable eating disorders. But these people are in larger bodies. So it's not, uh, as some people would say, is as obvious that they've got an eating disorder or that they've got disordered eating. Um, and obviously then a medication is not going to fix uh, an eating disorder. Um, so I think that that is something that also probably needs to be considered by GPs in this situation is like screening for eating disorders or disordered eating in the circumstance before you're prescribing someone a medication like this. Yeah, 100%. And, I, you know, one of the things we started talking about at the start of the podcast was psychological interventions for weight loss and for managing di- uh, kind of, you know, diet and things generally and how important that is um, because ultimately that is foundation and key to managing a lot of these things so and if we don't do that and and just prescribe a pill and don't fully inform someone I'd I'd argue we're not doing a very good job Mm. and I guess it's hard when you've got so much pressure on you as a GP as well to get somebody in and out in 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is in the UK there so I you can see you can see how people feel the pressure to solve a problem in a short period of time with the medication, but yeah, it just does not seem like it's actually helping solve the problem that that somebody has approached with. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the problem we face in healthcare at the moment. There isn't a lot of time to focus on this preventative measures on the, the background to why someone's feeling like this. It's just basically papering over the cracks. And I'm saying this in terms of weight loss. I feel that that was the case with a number of different conditions Um, And again, that comes back to the lifestyle message that I'm so passionate about. But I do think for certain things, you know, being quick and being efficient is, is, is fine. But I think when we're thinking about medications which can potentially cause a bit of risk or could be very inappropriate... I think then we've really got to be very careful about the way we we do use these medications. Yeah. And is there any risks that we, so we've talked about sort of the increased um, heart rate and blood pressure. Are there any other sort of big risks that um, are associated with this sort of medication? Um, So, I mean, because of those extra strains on the cardiovascular system, we know that there is actually in some situations that increased risk of heart attack and things and heart failure. Um, and as I said, there have been even some reported cases of people having heart attacks. Um, I think I would also caveat that with, you know, we, we've had people who've had heart attacks, sadly, drinking too much Red Bull um, and, 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 cause, and caffeine to stimulant, you know. So, you know, when we use stimulants in the wrong way or for the wrong people, regardless of what's going on in the background, that, that there are risks. So. I'm not just pointing the finger at duramine here and saying this mm. is going to cause a heart attack. If we're using it in the wrong people in the wrong situation and we haven't screened for it properly, then there's an issue here and it can have very bad consequences in the same way that sadly Red Bull can. Um, so, you know, th- th- that's one side of it. So the cardiovascular side of it, then there's also just the general kind of central nervous system. We know it's a stimulant, so it can cause this overstimulation restlessness, nervousness, background anxiety. The half-life of the medications is about 20 hours. So if we're on the higher dose, we've still got a pretty good amount of this medication left with us every single night when we sleep. Yeah, good point. Yeah, so what's that doing to our sleep? What's that doing to the quality of restorative, you know, life-giving sleep that we have that we know is so important for our health? Um, 
And there are cases of insomnia, people just not being able to sleep on the medication, which is obviously a reason to stop it. But for that reason, we do find that some people actually have periods of kind of euphoria with the medication, normally peaking at about four hours after having taken it, followed by really bad fatigue because of the way that it works in terms of, you know, being a stimulant, but then us not getting good quality rest. And ultimately, long term, that kind of lack of sleep will potentially lead to low mood episodes and things like that as well. Um, there are lots of side effects listed for every medication you'll ever look at. So I Great. could list all of them, but I suppose the other ones that are worth mentioning are um, there are cases where it can actually have an impact on sex. So um, changes in libido uh, have been reported and some people have even reported impotence. Um, why that is, I'm not exactly sure. And then there's also the case of tolerability. So some people get quite used to having a stimulant in the same way that um, caffeine, let's go back to caffeine. Caffeine is one that we can get quite used to and end up passionately having quite a lot. Um, some people I've even seen in my lifestyle clinic were having huge amounts of caffeine and feeling quite low as a result of it. And we gradually reduced their caffeine and then we got to a place where actually they were feeling a bit better as a result. But ultimately, that tolerability can happen with any stimulant. And if you get tolerance of it, it's not having any effect in terms of the, the weight loss, which is its sole intention. So that's mm. something that I personally feel when we're using this medication, we need to be screening for. So do you, you know, a question would be, do you feel like this medication is still helping you lower your appetite? Do you feel that you feel not as hungry as you normally would? And if people are unsure, that's another, and we're not seeing a weight loss, that for me is a sign that we don't really, we're not really benefiting from this medication. Yeah. And question regarding and I know you would definitely do this but whether there is I guess a, a practice uh, like recommendations around whether this is the standard but when you're putting somebody on a medication like this is a referral to a dietitian something that most GPs would do or because um, again as a dietitian I would say that it's all well and good to suppress someone's efforts or actually it's not all well and good but it's you know fine if you if that's the route that you're going to reduce someone's appetite but if you're not teaching them any you know, life skills or habits or anything like that, then yeah, as soon as you come off it, you're going to be falling straight back into old habits. Um, is there like a, a best practice recommendation around referrals like that? Yeah, I mean, the guidance is that we should be doing lifestyle measures with anyone who we'd be starting on a medication like that, because you do need to be making sure other habits around lifestyle are changed at the same time. Now, again, I'd argue how intensely that's done in certain places. Um, and I personally would totally agree with you, Marika. I think a referral to a dietitian, nutritionist, especially when in Australia you guys are, you know, very blessed in terms of having accessibility to very excellent resources like that. Sadly, not so much here in the NHS, but there, as in just lack of availability, is they're not not that there aren't good people. There just isn't that quite <laughs> availability. Um, just clear that up. But uh, yeah, so it does mean that that should be done as routine and and to be fair you know Jeremy are very clear about this they feel that people need to be supported in this process they need to make sure that they have um, lifestyle measures alongside this whether it be activity or um, nutrition diet um, advice as well so that very much should be alongside that for sure amazing so john are there any other weight loss medications that are regularly used um, or that you've seen used in various practices well i suppose i mean in the uk we've got um all the stat 
um, which is one which, you know, has kind of fallen out of favour a little bit. Um, and there's also this new medication, which I think in Australia you guys hear it as Saxenda um, mm. or Liraglutide, um, which we can talk a little bit about. And then I suppose... Actually, I had a few questions about that recently. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I was it's, it's the other day. one. It's, um, well, yeah, well, let's talk about that one. Let's talk about that one then. Um, so liraglutide is basically a, um, again, an appetite suppressant. Um, it decreases hunger by working like a um, peptide, which we've got in our bodies called glucagon-like peptide. Um, and it increases um, fullness sensations and also, as I said, decreases hunger. It's a subcut injection, which you take once a day. You start at a lower dose and then gradually build up. Now, the weight loss that you get with this medication, in fairness, is pretty impressive. Um, and the results from all the studies are, are really quite amazing. Um, we don't see as many side effects with Sexenda, um, but we do still see some. The main barrier for this medication is cost. Um, so it costs about 200 to $400 a month for this medication. And this is a lifelong medication. You know, the way this medications work is it's reducing appetite. And once you come off it, your appetite will come back mm. um, in a similar way to Duramine. Um, and the studies show that people come off it still find it quite hard. And, you know, hunger ultimately is very, very hard to fight. It's hard to fight for a few hours in some cases but if you're doing that all of your life your weight set point has been changed and you are fighting against that for all of your life that is an incredibly hard journey and I never want anyone to think that I don't appreciate what, what hard journey that is so being on this medication for life potentially might be the option but you know it is expensive and at the moment it's not I think it's only I'm not even sure what the funding is through Medicare and things but it, it's not cheap Yes, um, I think it still works at around 400 a month here in um, Australia. Yeah. My um, question with the these, I guess, appetite suppressants, regardless of how they work, what yeah. happens if you're somebody who actually doesn't feel like, in particular this one, like you don't feel like you actually have a high appetite. Like if you mm. feel like you don't actually eat a large volume of food and you're not, the reason that you feel that you have excess weight is not due to an excess consumption of food. Would it still work? So I suppose that would come back to so what what is the reason why we feel someone is overweight? And we'd obviously have to rule out a chemical process going on in the background, so a low thyroid level, for instance, or some other chemical reason why this person is overweight. There are some very rare and genetic conditions as well, which, which can happen. Um, but it would be coming back to, to why that person isn't losing weight. I often find, if I'm, I'm totally honest, when I, you know, do my kind of um, analysing someone's background lifestyle and looking at all the things that are contributing, often our perception of how much we are having in is a lot less than actually what we are having in. Even in food diaries, we're, we're known to be very bad at reporting food diaries. So often, unfortunately, we are consuming a lot more than we think. Um, and the data does strongly suggest that, you know, we are consuming considerably more now than we were 30 40 years ago um but if that person was genuinely really not having that much i think we'd have to look into more detail about why that might be and if there's anything else underlying it mm. okay interesting <laughs> um 
And I suppose, yeah, we, we didn't cover kind of all the stats and things. So all the stats, the one they use in the UK, I really don't like all the stat. All the stat is one which basically um, inhibits the enzymes which are involved with kind of breaking down fats. So <laughs> <laughs> what tends to happen is people just have really Oily bad diarrhea. Yeah, really bad diarrhea. <laughs> um, really bad diarrhea. It doesn't change any habits. Is that used for diabetes as well? Can be used in diabetes, yeah. Um, but it's it, it, it's one that, yeah. Again, it, it's used in a similar fashion, and it doesn't have a lot of adverse effects apart from the fact that it gives you terrible tummy pain, bloating, and diarrhea, which ultimately is is not the nicest thing to have. And of course, you're not changing any lifestyle measures. So once you stop it, sadly, it's very likely that that weight will return. Um, Fat burners are everywhere as well at the moment, um, and they have been for a while. They're normally a combination of caffeine, green tea, um, and epinephrine, or ephedrine, sorry. Um, There are some risks associated with ephedrine, and, you know, it's banned from a lot of the fat burners now. So normally in these fat burners, it's just a combination of green tea extracts and caffeine-type things. Caffeine can work as a bit of an appetite suppressant as well in a similar fashion to what we were discussing with the duramine because it is a stimulant. It means you're not feeling as hungry because you're, you're stimulated, you're concentrating, you're not thinking about food as much. God, um, I wish coffee got me that stimulated that I was like focusing. <laughs> it doesn't do that for me. Six coffees and I'm still distracted. Well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's often about dosing with caffeine as well. I think we're very quick to to overdose on caffeine. Um and I think that's that's very easily done, isn't it? I mean, the recommendation is to have 400 milligrams of caffeine a day. I certainly know a time when I was having a lot more than that. Um, but I, I, and I would say to anyone who's listening, who is, it's worth checking how much caffeine you're having. Um, because I know that I went through a period where I was having stupid amounts of caffeine. And I was feeling pretty rubbish. Like caffeine, longer term, that stimulant effect, that constant stimulant, and it and it's, it's that tolerability which is built up so it's not even having its positive effect anymore it can just wear you down and make you feel pretty tired so worth looking into how much caffeine you're having a day filtered coffees about 60 to 120 milligrams um and the the kind of energy drinks are normally 100 to 200 milligrams pre-workout things are normally 200 milligrams although some of the ones in australia were 350 milligrams on their own so um yeah i couldn't believe it and i remember i had one which i wasn't really aware of how high the dose was and it was not good but um yeah worth being aware of kind of dosing of caffeine in, in that regard for sure yeah absolutely and it's something that i've actually been thinking about recently is um monitoring my caffeine intake and reducing it and every morning of the last few weeks i'm like okay i'm not gonna have a coffee today and then it gets to about nine o'clock and i'm getting this like headache coming on i'm like oh, i'm just gonna have to do it today <laughs> like tomorrow yeah. tomorrow <laughs> yeah very easily done very easily done anyway thank you so much john for joining us for this chat is there anything further that you wanted to add on um weight loss drugs no not really i suppose the kind of summary is there is potentially a role for some of them and they can play a role sometimes but ultimately i think we need to stick to the fundamental kind of backbone stuff for being healthy not only because it gives us a more longer term option but also it actually gives us so many more benefits than that single drug could ever do. Um, and if you, you know, listen today and you've been affected by this, I really would encourage you to reach out to GP, um, dietitian, nutritionist, 
Um, even psychologists, if you feel there are certain elements from a psychological point of view that's affected you, um, because I think that kind of side of it cannot be underestimated either. A hundred percent. And what I was going to say is I think that if you're somebody who this has been an option that's either thrown at you in the past or something that you've considered is to yeah, really weigh it up for yourself. And something that I guess I'm passionate about and that I would say to consider is what is the purpose of the weight loss? Like, is it truly around health or is it more around, you know, fitting in and aesthetics and body image? Because that to me really isn't a time for using medication that comes with quite a lot of risks. Um, So I think that, yeah, we really need to assess like what is the overall health benefit and health risk, not even just like the medication health benefit and health risks, the just the overall health of the individual, including like you mentioned, their mental well-being. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us for this chat. It has been lovely to catch up with you uh, and a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Great. Thanks, Marika. So I wanted to finish up this episode just with my um, personal opinion and thoughts on both the episode and also um, using medication in this way. So first and foremost, what I want to say is that there is absolutely no shame in using medication for any condition that you have. Um, I think that's a really important point that needs to be made because there is so much stigma and shame around using medication, be it for mental health conditions, be it for um, physical health conditions, or be it for things like weight loss. I guess my concern with drugs like this though, is that the ease of access to them is in my opinion, quite phenomenal. Um, I obviously have been working as a dietitian for many, many years and throughout my time, I've seen a lot of people who have been either suggested to be put on these medications or have been able to get access to them when they really don't fit the need for needing them. Um, So I think that's where my concern comes in with them is that, yeah, absolutely, there's a time and a place for medications for anything. But we need to be really screening the people who are going on these medications and in particular screening for things like eating disorders or disordered eating habits and making sure that they do have the right support around them when they are going on a medication like this so that they are then, I guess, making lifestyle changes alongside that. And I think it's really important that we do have these discussions about medications like this because we are seeing more and more and more um, medications targeted towards weight loss. And I think that we really need to be sort of um, checking our weight bias before we are just prescribing medications for weight loss. And, you know, is it, are we prescribing medications for weight loss because we feel uncomfortable with people being in larger bodies or is it around genuine health concern? And um, yeah, where there is health concern and where there is, you know, barriers to making lifestyle changes, as I said, you know, time and a place for medications. Absolutely. Um, but I think we need to check our weight bias before we just go out and prescribe medications, you know, to anyone and everyone. Um, but yeah, that is this week's episode. Uh, make sure you are subscribed. I don't even know what I'm saying. Make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast so that you don't miss a episode. And, um, yeah, if you like this episode, please would love it if you screenshot and share on social media and tag me at break a day, have a fab week ahead guys. And I will catch you next week.